This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. I'm Lisa Crispin. I co-founded the Agile Testing Fellowship with Janet Gregory. We provide a three-day live training course, Agile Testing for the whole team, around the world with a whole team of hand-picked trainers and practitioners. And I live in Vermont with three donkeys and two dogs, three cats, and, and my husband. This is Elisa Crispin, Extreme, Extreme Programming, Programming Tester. Tester Series. The first episode of the series started at episode 131. What was the biggest change? So you mentioned you were on an XP team right off the bat. That's mm-hmm. pretty different. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest problem for me was just the mindset shift. And I think a lot of people who've been in testing in a more waterfall environment. And, and by the way, waterfall can work re- very well in some domains. Maybe not so much anymore, but in the early 90s, I was on an awesome waterfall team that did all the practices you see today. Continuous integration, uh, unit test automation, automation all the way up through all the levels, testers involved throughout the process. And we only had to release every six months to a year because it was a database product and people didn't expect, they didn't really want disruption more often than that. So back in the day, waterfall didn't mean bad practices. But but with this quick moving thing, it's, it's like, well, we've got to really shift to preventing bugs, not finding them after the fact. We don't have time <laughs> to spend trying to find them all after the fact. We have to learn to predict them. And the other thing was, which should have been obvious all along, is that the customer, the business people, that's who defines external quality. So what's important to them, what's valuable to them, what's solving their problem, what's solving the customer problem. And I had been in such a quality police mentality before that where it's like, well, we define the quality and we decide what's good. And the first, my first iteration on the XP team, uh, the company I was working for was a a consulting company and they had sent me off uh, on a two week engagement. So I got back just before the end of the first iteration. So we're all getting ready to do the demo to the customer. And I, I got into this app and I logged two users into the app at the same time and it crashed. Oh no! And I'm like, well, this is terrible. We can't show this to the user. And our, you know, our XP coach sat me down and said, we don't have a story for more than one user. We have a story to do these things. And all this customer wants is something that they can demo to get funding for their product. They don't care about two users. I was like, oh, it was, it it just was mind blowing. Yeah. Because up to then, my my job title at my previous company had been quality boss, which I look back (laughs) and cringe now. But it's like, oh yeah, I guess I guess the customer should be the one to decide quality. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask questions and make sure that they are not missing things. Like a lot of times they miss quality attributes like security or performance. They don't. They just assume that we'll deal with that. So it's good to ask them questions and make sure that they are articulating everything that they need. But we need to build what they want, and we need to think how can we build that quality and prevent the bugs with practices like test-driven development and and BDD and this and lots of other practices, um, and get those things out quickly. <laughs> yeah. I like how you frame that. And I'm curious to go a little further on the psychology there. So in at that time, when uh, uh, a QA or test had extreme ownership of quality, 
Did you feel like you were losing something when when the when it becomes more of a team sport? Well, I I didn't mind. I mean, I really felt like it was the right direction for the team to own it. It was just hard for me not to want to set the standard myself. And I had always worked very collaboratively with with teams, even in a waterfall environment. It was just stopping you from collaborating with. Well, there could be, depending on how siloed your organization is and whether you have access to people. But you should be able to go to talk to product managers, and you should be able to sit down with developers and work. So that that I like that. I knew that that was what was going to make it work was having this whole team ownership equality. But I had to let go of. Oh, Lisa, she she's the owner quality. I'm not the owner quality. It's customers the owner quality. So um, I think I think and so now my job is to help the customer figure out what they need because. We know from seeing all the innovation and disruption that's come up over the years, as customers, we don't always know what we want. We think we do, but then we see something somebody thought of that was really cool and go, oh, that is what I wanted. So how can we help our business owners think about what are their customers' problems? How can we solve those problems? What's the most important thing to do? And there are a lot of things that we can do to have you know good structured conversations with them to, to help them brainstorm and identify those things. So I really saw... As a tester, my how I can contribute myself the most was learning the business domain, really being able to speak the language of the business stakeholders and collaborating with them, and then helping the development team get with them and understand it all. Because uh, it was new for developers to work directly with the, the business and product people, right? Yeah. They weren't just getting requirement documents. They were having to sit down and, and, and do story planning meetings with them. So uh, I felt like I could facilitate those conversations. So a lot of the skills that a lot of testers bring to the table, I think, were very helpful there. And and then we could start transferring our testing skills, help, help developers learn how to do exploratory testing, help them learn how to do a good job with test automation coverage because, you know, they're focused on one small area of the code. They're not thinking of impacts on other parts of the system. They may not be thinking of negative scenarios or, or disaster scenarios. So there's a lot of value we can add as testers. You were talking about you started doing XP in, I think, 2000 is what I heard. Mm-hmm, that's right. Now, 2000, and now we're up here at 2020. Um, does mm-hmm. operating in the Agile way look a lot different than what you were doing in 2000? Well, that's a good question. I think, unfortunately, a lot of, now that Agile is quote-unquote mainstream, a lot of companies say they're Agile um, when what they, you know, maybe they do stand-ups and, and maybe they do release every two weeks, but they're not doing it at a sustainable pace or they're not really meeting the quality standard. Because to me, the Agile was all about quality. I liked Elizabeth Hendrickson's definition or Agile Asset Test, I think she called it of. Agile is delivering business value to, to customers frequently at a sustainable pace. And that sustainable pace is what captures all the good um, development practices, including test-driven development, refactoring, continuous integration, test automation, exploratory testing, all these good practices we need to do in our, and, and we need to slice our features up into 
tiny little stories and learn how to deliver the little end-to-end increments and get that feedback on them. You know, that's really what Agile is all about to me. I think there are plenty of teams still struggling with the same things that they struggle with at the beginning. They say, have a feature. They say, well, we can't possibly make this any smaller. We have to release all of this at once. Hmm. And it's just hard for people to learn that. And and people want a shortcut. I mean, it's normal. Everybody's under pressure to deliver faster, get that velocity up, you know, crank out those features. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we've got to slow down to go faster. And, and managers don't feel like they can do that because their managers are putting pressure on them. So it creates an unhealthy organization. And no matter which process you're trying to use, agile, waterfall, whatever, you're not going to be successful in that kind of culture. So uh, it's been interesting for me to see 20 years observing agile teams and not so agile teams and seeing what I see work on lots of teams. Uh, That was just my experience. I couldn't back it up with data. Well, I could for some things because we have lots of studies that show the benefits of test-driven development, of pair programming. You know, we have lots of studies on that. But now we have this data DevOps survey, and now we've got I think five years of data of that, and we know scientifically what practices correlate with high-performing teams, Mm. and how can we measure that? And it's all the stuff that I. That right. work for my teams, right? Right. And it's like, oh, good. Now we have data to, to back this up. We're not just unicorns. Um, <laughs> this, this stuff really does work. Unfortunately, we're human beings and facts don't matter to us very much. Right. We're not influenced by, by facts and logic. So, you know, some of us who've been around for this whole, most of this agile journey are frustrated. It's like, why... We, you know, we've known these things work. You know, why are things like test-driven development falling off even? Fewer people really? are embracing them, even wow. though we know how well it works. So I'm always struggling with how do we influence people? How do we, how do we educate business executives of the value of quality and why making an investment in it, because you do have to stop it and make an investment to, to implement these practices, why that's going to pay off in the long run. Everybody's focus on the short run. So it's an, it's an uphill battle, but I'm not giving up. (laughs) (laughs) Agile thoughts wants your help. However you find our show, be it through iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation systems, go ahead and leave us a review, click some stars, And that will help us grow the show. Thank you. Are you using a podcast player? Well, mosey on over to the show notes. Just tap, 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 and you will find links such as Lisa Crispin's book and other things that are mentioned in the podcast. They'll be right there for easy tapping. If you don't use a podcast player, go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3 and you'll find the show notes in that website where you got the MP3. Next episode, more Lisa Crispin. It's like something happened in 2000. It sounds like we both switched to XP about the same time. Yeah, when I was working at Kila Packard, we were in a small lab and our boss uh, brought in Kent Beck. So we had Kent Beck to coach us. I think early on that he and the other leaders of, of XP, I think they were right in telling people, okay, just start out doing all the practices. And then when you've done them a while, 
then you can let go of the ones that aren't working for you. 